Modern. 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 We're prepping for a voyage. Modern. The force of an old-fashioned equals whiskey mass times bitters acceleration. Why don't you make that a double? Modern Bar Cart. What's shaking, cocktail fans? Welcome to episode 242 of the Modern Bar Cart Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Koslick. Thanks for joining me for another interview episode where we track down the best and brightest minds in the spirits and cocktail world so that we can share their secrets with you. This time around, I'm joined by Victoria E.D. Butler, master blender for Uncle Nearest Premium Whiskey and the great-great-granddaughter of Nathan Nearest Green, the former slave who taught Jack Daniel how to distill. Of course, this is our tribute to National Bourbon History Month, and what better way to celebrate our nation's favorite spirit than to explore the figures who pioneered American whiskey and those who are leading it into the future. But before we dive in, let's take a brief pause so that you can make yourself a drink. This episode's featured cocktail is the Lynchburg Lemonade. To make it, you'll need one and a half ounces of Tennessee whiskey, like Uncle Nearest Premium Whiskey, one ounce of an orange liqueur, such as triple sec, one half ounce simple syrup, one half ounce fresh lemon juice, and four ounces of your favorite lemon-lime soda to top. This is a built drink, so in a highball glass with ice, combine your non-carbonated ingredients, then top with the lemon-lime soda, give it a gentle stir to combine, garnish with anything you please, and enjoy. The Lynchburg Lemonade, created as a tribute to the Jack Daniels brand in Lynchburg, Tennessee, is a product of the 1980s, a time when sour mix was in everything. So you'll notice that I tweaked the recipe from an ounce of sour mix to incorporate a half ounce each of lemon juice and simple syrup. But you do you. If there's a ratio of sweet to sour that you prefer, by all means, follow your bliss. For me, the two variables that will likely have the most noticeable impact on the character of this cocktail are your choice of orange liqueur and your choice of whiskey. You can go for a light triple sec, a barrel-aged Grand Marnier, or a traditional Curacao, which will all yield different orange notes. And then, of course, everyone has their favorite whiskey for mixing in a long drink. So probably no need to break the bank on this bottle, but ultimately... It's not up to us to lecture you on how to drink your whiskey. So, now that you've got a perfect porch sipper to help you transition from summer to fall, let's turn our attention back to the interview. In this fascinating conversation with Victoria Edie Butler, master blender for Uncle Nearest Premium Whiskey, some of the topics we discuss include how Victoria transitioned from a career in criminal justice, fighting organized crime, to her role as the Master Blender for Uncle Nearest, where she won back-to-back titles as Master Blender of the Year in 2021 and 2022. What happened when she teamed up with historian and Uncle Nearest CEO Fawn Weaver to unearth the living legacy of her great-great-grandfather, Nathan Nearest Green, who was touted during his lifetime as the best distiller in the region? The importance of the Lincoln County process, which is the primary differentiator between Tennessee whiskey and bourbon, and which was perfected by Nearest as a signature production technique. Then, of course, we taste Uncle Nearest's flagship product, 1884 Small Batch Whiskey, which won Best American Whiskey in 2021. We also investigate Victoria's signature approach to blending, which involves specific techniques to protect her palate and ensure that she addresses the all-important finish of the whiskey. Along the way, we learn about the deeply important philanthropic work of the Nearest Green Foundation, why Tennessee whiskey is bourbon plus one, where you can go to drink at the longest bar in the world, and much, much more. With a brand like Uncle Nearest Premium Whiskey, I think it's easy to get swept up in the lore and the nostalgia of the man who taught Jack Daniel how to distill. And to be sure, none of the things they're doing today would be possible without the man who employed a traditional West African water purification technique to the manufacture of American whiskey. But to me, What's more interesting is the work that Victoria, Fawn, and the rest of the team at Uncle Nearest are doing to steer this category into the future. 
So please join me in raising a glass of your favorite bourbon or Tennessee whiskey and enjoy this conversation with master blender, Victoria Edie Butler. Victoria, welcome to the podcast. Hey there. Thank you for having me. So I'm super excited for this. Obviously, it is National Bourbon Heritage Month, so it's so fitting that you and I are sitting down today to chat. But before we get into all things Uncle Nearest and whiskey, uh, could you just introduce yourself generally to our listeners? Absolutely. Good morning, everyone. I am Victoria Edie Butler. I am Nearest Green's great-great-granddaughter. Nearest Green is the first known African-American master distiller, and I am the first African-American female master blender, and I work for Uncle Nearest Premium Whiskey located in Shelbyville, Tennessee. Mm. Wonderful, wonderful. Uh, I'm super excited to get into the story of Nathan Nearest Green and, of course, all of the different quality implications that that has on Uncle Nearest Premium Whiskey. But I thought that it might be fun for you and I to start this interview off on a bit of a non sequitur, a bit of something out of left field. And I wanted to start by asking you if there's Anything similar between blending a fine premium American whiskey and doing the type of thing that you used to do, which is using big data to track crime? Is that a weird question? No, no, no. I've I've been asked that several times. And one of the things that is similar is the attention to detail. You can imagine that in my previous career, uh, attention to detail was a big thing because the smallest thing could set a criminal free or convict an innocent person. So the attention to detail was very important in my previous life. And it's very important now as I am blending uh, a premium whiskey. So we want to ensure that Every drop of whiskey that goes into every bottle of Uncle Nearest Premium Whiskey, that it meets the standard that we have set for our, our product and that what our, our whiskey family have come to enjoy. One of the things that strikes me as a similarity between tracking trends over time in a criminal justice context and trying to blend a consistent high quality product over time is that in both cases, the data that you're sampling is constantly changing. So when you're acting as that master blender, what are some of the quality checkpoints that you're looking for? Or conversely, what are some of those changes that you become alert to that go off as little alarms saying, ooh, this is something I need to pay attention to with my palate and then make a sort of systemic adjustment in response to? Well, you know, one of the turnoffs in regards to to whiskey, it it can be hot if it is not ready. So the, uh, the, the hotness, the smoothness, the sweetness, all of those things are uh, relevant and important. So, you know, when we tap a barrel and if, 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 if by chance it's not ready, um, there's a hotness to it that we certainly don't want to blend. Yeah. And obviously that's also compounded by the fact that these barrels are moving around. They're located in different places with different temperature how does how does one keep track of all that? I mean, are you are you sitting there utilizing massive enterprise computing resources to keep track of these things, or is it much more intuitive when you're when you're actually on the ground at the facility doing what your job requires to do day in day out? Well, luckily, I am not the one who has to um, keep all the data. We have a team. And so I, I, I go in and select the barrels 
that that need that I want to taste, if they are by chance not the correct ones for the maturity, for the age, then of course uh, that's a no. But the data is kept on massive spreadsheets and uh, of course they, the barrels are rotated, but there is a system in place that keeps up with all of that. Yeah. Well, I wonder if you might take us to a point in your career, because we just mentioned you you had this whole career in criminal justice, and then you met somebody named Fawn Weaver. So could you just yes, introduce her awesome as a character? Fawn Weaver. And just, yeah, introduce her as a character and tell us what that then triggered for you. Well, um, I met Fawn. I was one of the last one of my family actually to meet her. She arrived in Lynchburg, Tennessee in 2016. But uh, as we just spoke about, I was still in my previous career traveling a lot. And so I wasn't on the ground in Lynchburg, but I knew who she was. Soon after she arrived, I was getting information from my siblings. And so she had met all of them before she met me. And of course, uh, just like me, they fell in love with her right away. But Fawn and I talked on the phone, on the telephone first, and then we had a face-to-face and our relationship grew from that. But she knew from my siblings and, and maybe even me, I can't remember now if I had shared that I was thinking about retirement uh, doing one of our telephone conversations. But she knew that I was getting ready to retire, that the time was approaching and she asked me about joining the team and I could not pass up the opportunity to be a part of continuing my great, great grandfather's legacy. And so quite naturally the the answer was yes. And um, I joined the team early 2017. Oh, I'm sorry, 2019. Our brand launched in 2017, but Mm. I did not join the team until um, late February of 2019. So what what was Fawn doing when she was interviewing all of your siblings and, and the folks in your family? Was she gathering information for this? Oh, yeah. Was it- she was just, when she arrived in Tennessee, she was hopeful of finding out more about this uh, once enslaved man that she had read about in the New York Times. She wanted to know his story. And of course, when she arrived in Lynchburg, she um, started to meet all of my my family there. And of course, she was meeting the uh, descendants of Jack Daniel as well, and the townspeople of Lynchburg. And so she put together this team of 20 people, uh, researchers, genealogists, to help her what we now know to be near screen's legacy. And so she was meeting with my family as she was finding out more information, telling us uh, what was going on and what she was finding. And of course she interviewed, or I wouldn't even call it an interview. She just talked with the family to find out what the oldest ones knew and what had been shared through the generations from from our relatives. And so they were developing a a, a relationship, but she was also sharing um, what she knew as well. So Mm -hmm. over the course of time, with the help of her research team, uh, Fawn unearthed what we now know to be Nearest Green's legacy. She learned that he not only had this awesome, unheard of relationship with a young white boy named Jack Daniel, that he was his mentor and friend. And once Jack bought the Dan Call farm and distillery from from Dan Call, he named the distillery after himself. And he asked his good friend and mentor, Nears Green, to stay on with him. And of course, Nears did. And by then, Nears was a free man and he became the first known African-American master distiller under the Jack Daniel brand. And so Fawn was learning all these things out, things that most of the family did not know. 
growing up, I always knew that my great great grandfather, Nearest Green, taught Jack Daniel how to make whiskey. You know, those were the words that my grandmother used. Nearest Green's granddaughter is my grandmother. And so she never passed up an opportunity to uh, <laughs> reiterate with the family and to those who came to visit her home uh, who her grandfather was and what he meant to Jack Daniel and his family. So I've always known that, but through the course of Fawn's research, I learned much more. And in addition to learning that Nears was the first known African-American master distiller, um, I, along with all of the family, learned uh, through Fawn that he also was essential in perfecting the Lincoln County process, the process of filtering whiskey through sugar, maple, charcoal. That process is what separates Tennessee whiskey from bourbon. That process is was signed into law in 2013 by the governor of Tennessee. Any whiskey that desires to be Tennessee whiskey has to meet all the qualifications, uh, all the characteristics or qualifications of bourbon, but it also has to be made in Tennessee and it must adhere to the Lincoln County process. So in in our mind, and I hope others too, that makes, you know, uh, Nears Green the godfather of Tennessee whiskey. That one innovation separates Tennessee whiskey from any other spirit. So I didn't know that growing up. <laughs> uh, I, I'm sure my grandmother, you know, didn't know that. So Fawn's research changed the game for all of us, for the family, and of course now for the spirits industry as a whole, because what she unearthed put Nears Green on the map, so to speak, because without her research and the brand, without her launching Uncle Nears Premium Whiskey, Nears Green and his contribution to the spirits industry would probably still be known no further than the city limits of Lynchburg. You know, every you know, growing up, it was not a secret at home, but most people outside my beautiful little hometown of Lynchburg had never heard of Nears Green. And now with the, you know, with our launching of Uncle Nears Premium Whiskey in 2017, we have become the fastest growing American spirit in history. We're in all 50 states and 12 countries. So Fawn did one hell of a thing when she launched this brand honoring uh, Nears Green. We are the only uh, major whiskey brand uh, or American whiskey brand that honors an African-American man. As you were describing the connection between your grandmother and Nathan Nears Green, it kind of strikes me how timely the project of Uncle Nearest Premium Whiskey is and, of course, spawned by the research that Fawn conducted because you could reach out and, you know, grab the hand of your grandma. And at one point in her life, your grandma could have reached out and grabbed the hand of Uncle Nearest and... In that sense, you're still connected. You've still got that visceral living connection, but you take one more generation out of the equation. If, if, if that research and that living memory had been put off or you know passed over for any significant length of time, there wouldn't be that visceral living connection. So I think it was a really, um, really fortunate thing that she came in when she did and was able to, you know, combine her independent research with your with your family's lived experience to to get that richness and to ha have that conversation of, you know, oh, her bringing absolutely. some information that you didn't know and, and vice versa. One of the things that also struck me as we, as you were describing the Lincoln County process, as you were describing the 2013, uh, you know, governor signing into law, what I assume made Tennessee whiskey sort of a, a geographic delimited as well as a process delimited product. It kind of strikes me that when people say bourbon 
in this country. They're kind of also referring to Tennessee whiskey in sort of a square as a rectangle kind of way. What what are your thoughts on that? As somebody who's deep in it. Oh yeah, I mean, no doubt we are bourbon. Uh, we often say bourbon plus one because it's <laughs> it's we 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 have to meet all the qualifications of bourbon, but we are made in Tennessee, and all of our expressions go through the Lincoln County process. So. I don't know if you know it or not, Eric, you probably do, but we're the most awarded whiskey or bourbon for the last three years running. So no doubt we are we are definitely bourbon exclamated is what I like to say. <laughs> I love that. Plus one exclamated. Um, I don't want to belabor it too much, but in terms of the Lincoln County process, could you describe the way that that looks in terms of the materials and equipment just for our listeners who are sitting here saying like, all right, there's an extra charcoal thing going on and there's a sugar maple element to it. But like, what is the Lincoln County process from start to finish? It, it is truly from, from trees that is burnt down to charcoal. That charcoal is is packed into vats and the whiskey literally drips through the charcoal. That is the full filtration. The charcoal, the sugar maple charcoal is the filtration. So it's put in the vats and the whiskey is dripped through it. Mm. It's always interesting to me when people utilize specific wood for things because I think it does add an element of terroir to the whole process. It's not just, it's, you're not just using any tree you can get your hands on. You're using sugar maple. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and I, I, I don't know for sure, but for me, I think it lends to the sweetness of a Tennessee whiskey. It, It certainly doesn't, um, add to the flavor, so to speak. But because your 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 mash does that, but it 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 takes out some of the harshness that can be found in whiskey. It kind of helps to smooth that out. And I think the process was was brought over from from my people in West Africa. And I believe okay. you know we know that it was passed down, and we just believe in Nearest's infinite wisdom that he believed if it worked. For purifying water is what people in West Africa used it for, that it also would work the same for whiskey. And indeed, it did and it does. Hmm. It's interesting, too, because the, the, the title master distiller has a certain implication to it. And I think... This is an interesting through line to pause on because as Nathan Nearest Green was the first African-American master distiller, he was doing things very differently than we than a master distiller would do them today. Today, we have all this technology to utilize. We have all this high-tech equipment to utilize. And it sort of begs the question, almost like almost like a black belt in martial arts has to to pass a test or like some great uh, scholar needs to publish uh, a master work like what what is what is distinguishing this master distiller back in the 1800s from just any old distiller and it strikes me that this Lincoln County process is sort of his masterpiece his contribution not only to what like how that whiskey tasted in the moment, but his contribution to something that is literally codified into law as of 2013. Is right. Does that map onto you? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I, and again, I think it goes back to that attention to detail. Hmm. Now, granted, when, when Nears started making whiskey, he was an enslaved man. I think as most enslaved people did, he he did it out of necessity. You know, he learned and mastered what was needed for what he was doing. You know, he didn't have any formal training and likely couldn't read nor write, but it was the skill set over time that uh, he mastered. 
And even back when Dan Call introduced him to a young Jack Daniel, he introduced Nearest Green as the best whiskey maker around. Now, Nearest wasn't the only person um, that started, you know, using the, he, he, he perfected it. But there were others that used the Lincoln County process uh, after uh, they, they caught on to it. But it was something about the way Nearest did it that separated his skill set from others. And I just believe that it was his attention to detail, uh, the quality of the work that he was producing that really just set him apart from any other distiller at the time. And I hope that that has transcended to me and to our brand that we are continuing the um, the excellence in which Nears did his work more than 160 years ago. This episode is brought to you by Near Country Provisions. Yep, you've heard me singing their praises for the past year now, and to answer a question I'm frequently asked, yes, I still do a little happy dance when my monthly subscription shows up at my door on dry ice and in an insulated bag. I want to highlight a couple aspects of Near Country that normally take the backseat to their meat quality and their impeccable local sourcing, those being affordability and customization. I don't know if you've been paying attention to the price of groceries lately, but the cost of meat, even the factory farm stuff, has been skyrocketing. But because Near Country keeps things local to the Mid-Atlantic, your meat doesn't have to travel far, and it doesn't change hands half a dozen times before it hits shelves, meaning you don't have to pay for all those markups from middlemen. Every time I do a price comparison between Near Country and the grocery store, I'm blown away by the quality that I'm getting relative to the cost. And when it comes to flexibility, I've never worked with a subscription service where I have so much control. Let's say, for example, that you've got something against pork chops. Every month, Adam and his team send around a survey that allows you to say, hey, I don't want pork chops this month, or I don't want pork chops ever again, or a more reasonable request, I'd love it if you could include pork chops in my delivery every month. Preferences change, diets change, and special requests and cuts are always on your mind at certain times of the year, and Near Country gets that. They bend over backwards to help meet your changing needs. Head over to nearcountry.com and enter the code BARCART, all one word, that's B-A-R-C-A-R-T, when you sign up for your subscription to receive two free pounds of bacon or ground beef in your first delivery. And believe me, you'll be glad that you did. Now back to the show. I, I was just about to say, I think this would be an excellent time to to actually sample the juice in the glass. So while I uncork my my bottle here of Uncle Nearest 1884 small batch whiskey, um, would you mind just giving us the story and kind of the rundown on the juice in this bottle? Absolutely. So what you're about to sample today is our own juice. When we first started our brand in 2017, we were sourcing our whiskey and then putting our touches on it to make it Uncle Nears Premium Whiskey. Um, we are happy that we are now putting our own juice in a bottle from start to finish. That happened uh, earlier this year. So every drop of whiskey that goes into all of our expressions now with the exception of the rye that's going to drop tomorrow morning, it is all Uncle Nears Premium Whiskey. Um, the first batch that I blended was in May of 2019. In July of 2019, it hit the market. At that time, of course, it was still being sourced and uh, put through our processes to make it our own. But as I said earlier this year, we made the transition to our own whiskey. So what you're about to taste, I think, Eric, is the best whiskey we've ever put in a bottle. It is our own. I'm super proud of it. On the nose, I try not to influence 
But on the nose, I think you'll find uh, a great deal of sweetness, maple, honey, stone fruit, um, a little bit of spiciness, uh, or a little bit of bacon spices, rather. On the palate, I think those things are amplified, especially the honey and the spices. Man, it's 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 so approachable, and yeah, and, and, but it also is. but also it, it's um, approachable is probably the wrong term. Seductive, come hither, like it approaches you, but then asks that you approach it. It's very inviting. I think it's very inviting. It is ninety three proof. All of our whiskey is considered by most high proof, but it doesn't slip sip like in high proof whiskey. It is very mellow and smooth. Um, the finish starts out a little sweet and I think yields to spiciness. Um, probably the shortest finish of all of our expressions, yet uh, it's memorable. It is. Um, it creates that um, thought of I want more. Hmm. Yeah, one of the one of the things that I really loved about the nose is the complexity of it. I mean, all of the things that you mentioned are there, and I was getting it's it's very very holiday evocative for me. Uh, getting like a like a fruit cake in there with all yeah, those nice yeah. uh, winter spices, but also like the dried fruit. Um, it's crazy that I haven't had one of those since I'm a kid. And then every time I I come across a certain whiskey, I'm like, man, I've got a re- weird craving for fruitcake. Um, <laughs> and on the, you're right. The finish, the finish has some spice, but it almost has like a salted caramel character to it. To me, like my, my palate's not, it's, I find with, with some whiskeys, they tend to dry out the palate, but, but this is actually kind of, making me salivate a little bit and let me like, oh yeah, no, like that's what that I was, was good. Saying, it makes you want more. Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. the finish makes you want more. Indeed. Um, so this is your f- sort of flagship product, your keystone product, however we want to refer to it. And in addition to the fact that you've got this transition from sourced juice to juice that is a hundred percent your own. And in addition to the fact that you're dropping this ride tomorrow, which is exciting, uh, yeah. you also have two other kind of member or well, one other major member and then some single barrel editions of this. So can you talk about the other members of the uncle nearest family, uh, so that we can understand what the, what the lineup looks like? Sure. Sure. We launched our brand with 1856. It is a 100 proof whiskey. Uh, As I said earlier, it is our own juice too, from start to finish. It is very approachable, uh, inviting as well. I don't think it sits like a 100 proof. Most love it um, neat or on a big cube. Goes well with a great cigar. So does our 1884. 1856 is what put us on the map in 2017. Uh, 1856 is the year that Nears Green helped perfect the Lincoln County process. 1884 is the year that he last put whiskey in a barrel. So we pay homage to his retirement with our small batch. We also have 1820. That is the year that we believe Nears Green was born. We, we never have it anymore. You know, that is our most exclusive whiskey. Uh, when we do have it, it is at the nearest green distillery. And then we have the master blend edition. Uh, that came about as I was blending our 1884 small batch. I was finding a really unique, just absolutely delicious barrels that I thought needed uh, not be diluted with any water that they should be blended um, straight from the barrel. And so that is how the Master Blend Edition came about. Um, So it is basically Barrel Proof 1884. Wow. And it's absolutely delicious. It's still a blend of barrels, but there is no water added 
to the uh, Master Blend Edition. In fact, there is very little water added to any of our expressions with with the uh, 84 being 93 proof and the 1856 being 100 proof. Yeah, well, that's that's quite the portfolio. And and to be honest, most bourbon brands take a lot longer to get to the point where they're able to offer such a consistent and such a, you know, like a from start from from your from your entry proof to your barrel proof or cask strength offerings. Like that's a pretty intense amount of time to have curated and rolled out all of those offerings, which leads me to the question, as the master blender, you it's not it's not like you went to it's not like you have decades of ex, decades and decades of experience doing this like for the first chunk of your life. You were doing something completely different. So how did you exit the criminal justice career and hop into this hotbed of productivity where you were tasked with creating all these, how did you train your palate and what was that process like for you? Well, oddly enough, um, there was no training for my palate. I truly believe and and have accepted that whiskey is just in my blood. Uh, now granted, when I realized that I was going to be joining the team, I started studying just so I would at least be able to hold an intelligent conversation with others in the spirits industry. But there was no training my my palate. The first day that I went in, I can't remember for sure if it was 31 or 36 samples that was there before me. And thankfully, I blended what turned out to be um, a pretty doggone good uh, batch and right out the gate, when we le- released it in, in July of 2019, we started winning awards with it. And so Fawn asked me to blend the second batch, and I did. And the awards and the accolades, they kept coming. And then I was elevated to Master Blender. And since then, I have been named Master Blender of the Year four times over. Two times by uh, Whiskey Magazine, Icons of Whiskey, which is like the Grammys in the spirits industry. Uh, First person of color to ever be recognized as the Master Blender of the Year. And the first person to ever win back-to-back years. So I just really believe that those characteristics, those strengths, those skills that my great-great-grandfather had in regards to making whiskey, his great-great-granddaughter has in blending whiskey. And furthermore, it's just, um, it's my passion. Uh, One that I did not know was there until Fawn Weaver tapped into that. I really believe that the woman has a knack for seeing things in others that we don't see in ourselves. I was a nervous wreck, to be quite honest, the first day I went in to blend. I had drank whiskey, but I had never even dreamed of blending any whiskey. And Fawn just was confident that I could. Mm. And halfway through the blending process, I started to feel the same thing. And when the product hit the market and the whiskey community accepted it with open arms and the the competitions, we were getting so much recognition and, and winning these awards, my confidence started to build. And by the second batch, I was more comfortable and Fawn didn't even show up to be there. Um, she was that confident that I could do it. And Indeed, I did and have blended every batch since. So I am a student now of my craft. I am a certified bourbon steward as well. I've taken classes. I continue to study and I protect my palate. Um, some find it ritual, ritualistic or um, even humorous that I don't drink any other whiskey. I don't Uh, eat or drink anything prior to or while doing the blending. 
Um, and I blend and taste everything at barrel proof. A lot of master blenders I've, I've learned, they, they do it, um, blend it down or, or um, reduce down, but I don't. I, I, and I don't spit it out. Every sip that I taste, I swallow. Uh, one of the things, probably the only thing really, that I went into the first blending process, the only thought or the primary thought was that the finish had to be good. Because if the finish wasn't good, it ruins the whole thing. And so I wanted to ensure that the finish was not hot, that it was smooth and and memorable and caused one to want to drink more. And so I thought if you spit it out, how do you know what the finish is going to be? So I didn't spit it out then and I don't now. Well, it sounds like that was a pretty good instinct to be bringing into it, even if you had never done it before. It seems like even if if you were bringing one thing in, one thing that kind of sets your process apart from the way that others approach it, and even if you didn't know that at the time, it seems like based on what I just sampled, it's a it's something that's continuing to pay dividends to this day, and it's something that it seems like is a real trademark of the Uncle Nearest brand, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I I, I would agree with that. Um, I've never really uh, researched what others do. I'm not sure what they do, but just based on conversation with people, it it, it seems that most reduce their whiskey down and then then do the sampling and the blending and they spit it out. Um, I, I that is just not my way. And, and as you said, it, it has paid off for Uncle Nears Premium Whiskey, and I'm grateful for that. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I think at this point, we've got a good sense of how the brand was born, how the different offerings have evolved, how your own process has sort of changed and advanced over time in some ways, and in some ways stayed completely the same and unique to you as a person. My big question now is what's next for Victoria in particular and for Uncle Nearest in general? Well, um, you know, we are still young. We're only five years old, so we've barely uh, scratched the surface of what we... um, of the imprint that we hope to make. So we will continue to put out new expressions. We'll, as I said, we have our, our rye, uncut, unfiltered rye dropping tomorrow mo- morning at, at the distillery. We are still building out our distillery. We are in Shelbyville, Tennessee. We have 323 beautiful acres there. We are just weeks away from opening the longest bar in the world. Uh, I'm really, really excited about that. Humble Baron will be opening opening soon, and I I can't wait for that. We have the first non-alcoholic speakeasy at the Nears Green Distillery, and we will continue to just add on to this beautiful footprint that we've already made in the spirits industry by continuing to grow our distillery and Welcome them in guests every weekend there. We're open Thursday through Sunday. That will soon, you know, advance to seven days a week. So we're just excited about that. And we will continue to add more expressions to our line. We'll be coming out with um, a straight rye this year, along with the single barrel. So we're just continuing to grow and, and um, hopefully continue to bring new and exciting things to the whiskey family, the whiskey community across the country. So clearly very good news for all our rye fans out there. Uh, I need to, I need to press a little further on the longest bar in the world that, that the, that the humble Baron that you were referencing. Yes, now, it's going to be wonderful. How, how long? I can't remember the linear feet. It's five something, 500 and something linear feet. Uh, ours has a indoor outdoor capacity. 
We're going to be having a lot of live music there. So I'm excited about that. It's, it's, the space is absolutely beautiful. It's, in the, it's adjacent to our welcome center that houses all of our swag and our uh, bottles that can only be purchased at the nearest green distillery. In the back of that, uh, um, adjoining that, is Humble Baron. And we also have Barrel House Barbecue that is also open Thursday through Sunday. We have homemade, top-of-the-line food there, um, barbecue with all the fixings, the homemade potato salad and baked beans and coleslaw and peach cobbler and ice cream. It's it's pretty doggone good. (laughs) It sounds like it. I really hope that... Once you get that world's longest bar set up that you do some sort of events where you get people to do the relay where they slide the glass down the bar and then the next person catches it and then they slide it down the bar to the next person. And that'd be uh, fun, right? Yeah. Yeah. It'd be yeah. fun. So it's it, it it might be a little bit of a challenge. You know, we're all about um keeping the uh, beauty of of the Sand Creek Farm. It is. We are sitting on what used to be a Tennessee walking horse farm, mm. and so uh, you will find when you come to the distillery, there are a lot of things that are shaped in a horseshoe, like <laughs> where you cash out or where you check in at the Welcome Center to start your tour. It is a horseshoe. Uh, in my office space, the Master Blender House, the bar is shaped like a horseshoe, and that will follow through as well in Humble Baron. It is just one, two, three, maybe four humongous, beautiful horseshoes. So that may be a little bit of a challenge, but <laughs> that's something we should definitely try. Yeah, interesting. Uh, well, I it sounds like what you're describing is just every bourbon fan's fantasy sort of Disney World type experience. So it's funny you say Disney World. Um, it's been maybe a year and a half, two years ago now. We have we were dubbed by the press as Malt Disney. Um, so there's something for everyone there. It is home for, for me and, and Fawn and Keith and, and the whole Uncle Nearest team. But for those who come visit, you know, it's, it's Mount Disney World. And, and we are just thrilled to have people from all walks of life, all across the country, come into our space uh, Thursday through Sunday to take in all of the wonderful history that is shared there at the, at the distillery, not just about Nearest Green, certainly Nearest Green and, and his contribution to the spirits industry is, uh, is the highlight, but we share other things that, that are relevant and important to the state of Tennessee. Well, it should uh, should go down on everyone's list who's planning on taking a road trip anytime soon. And uh I wanted to just check in, Victoria, before we jump into a couple of lightning round questions to see if there's anything that we missed during our conversation that you want to make sure that our listeners are aware of. There is one thing we did discuss, and that is the Near Screen Foundation. Before Fawn uh, even launched the brand, she was so connected already to my family, and she had concern for the next generation and the generation after that, uh, and and so you know down the line, that she and and Keith created the Nearest Green Foundation, and that foundation was created to ensure that Nearest Green's college age descendants moving forward would never have to be concerned about a financial burden burden in reaching uh, higher education. So the foundation pays for full tuition, books, fees, all things connected to their college courses for all of Nearest Green's descendants. One of my primary duties when I joined the team was to be the director over the Nearest Green Foundation. I still am the director of of our foundation, and I love that I have the opportunity to have a direct link 
to the next generation. I get to talk with them and they know that I'm here for them if they need me for anything. Um, And so that is one of the things sometimes that people forget. Uh, It's been in the press a lot, but every opportunity I want um, people across the country to know that 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 foundation is very important. Uh, It is now funded by every bottle that is purchased of Uncle Nearest Premium Whiskey. So uh, thank you to all of those who continue to support our brand. It is indeed helping to cement Nearest Green's legacy, but it is also ensuring that his descendants um, can go to college and not have to be concerned about financial worries. I think that's one of the things about the Uncle Nearest brand that kind of ties it up and makes it feel complete in a sense, because when you put a name on a label like that, I mean, first of all, when it's just some old white dude's name, it's a throwaway already because that's what all bourbon is, is named after some old white dude. But when you put the name on the label, I think in this context, what's at risk is just having that one fact, maybe a fact and a half about him being the first African-American master distiller and you know being instrumental in perfecting the Lincoln County process being as far as we go. And him in that sense, becoming almost like a historical mascot. And mascots are nice, we enjoy them, but we don't think about them when they're not around, but when you've got the foundation involved, it really is a living legacy. And and so I think it makes it, it makes it feel complete in a way. And, and and it feels, it, it, it really does feel good, not just because you're drinking delicious whiskey, but because the whiskey has meaning in so many different ways. I agreed. Agreed. And um, oddly enough, you know, Fawn wasn't thinking about the whiskey when the foundation was put in place. She was thinking about the family. And um, for that and so many other things, I love her um, unconditionally. She is the most genuine, caring, uh, selfless um, individual that, that, that I've known. And to uh, put the icing on the cake... The lady is a genius. Um, she is the first and only female that owns and leads a, a major whiskey brand. She has um, put together this this team that is so dedicated to the Uncle Nearest brand that if you talk with any of them, you would think they too were descendants of Nearest Green. Um, everyone is is completely in and dedicated and and it's just a beautiful thing. And and you know, without really even knowing that she was doing it, she created the first female, all female executive team in the industry. And so, you know, we have broken a lot of glass ceilings, but we did it not with the intention of being the first but with the intention of cementing Nearest Green's name in legacy, uh, cementing his legacy and continuing his legacy. And when people are talking about those icons in the, in the whiskey business, you know, like Jack Daniel and Jim Beam and George Dickel, those people that uh, most people think about when you're talking about Tennessee whiskey, we want, you know, Nearest Green's name to be included in, in, in that as well because uh, he was so instrumental uh, in making that happen. So um, everything we do is done with purpose and on purpose. And we are good stewards of our blessings and we believe in pulling as you climb. And so that foundation means a lot, not just to my family, but it means a lot to our team as well, because we feel like we know that we are working really hard and others um, are benefiting from it. So it's, it's a really good thing. It really is. 
Well, I think that's a, a wonderful way to uh, to wrap up the main portion of the interview here. We will, of course, have links to everything we've talked about, the Lincoln County process, the, the foundation, everything over on the show notes page at modernbarcart.com forward slash podcast. And uh, now, Victoria, I've just got a couple quick lightning round questions for you. Okay, let's do it. What is something that's seemingly small or completely unique to you that always makes your day? And I'm going to take out morning cup of coffee off the table because that's everyone's first thought. So what's something that always makes your day? Something small. A text from my son. All right. If you could share a cocktail with anyone in the world, past or present, who would it be? Where would you go? What would you drink? Just kind of paint us a little picture. Oh, my God. Uh, there are so many, uh, right off the top of my head, you know, I, I enjoy my friends and family. I really do. Um, I enjoy sitting down with Fawn. She is quite the historian. I learn something every time we are just sitting, talking, having a casual conversation. Um, but outside of that, I am a huge sports fan. I would love to have a glass of whiskey with Michael Jordan. <laughs> awesome. I would love awesome. to have a, a glass of whiskey with Michael Jordan and, um, and to shake his hand. I enjoyed watching him play, play basketball. He was the best to me, um, put on a show every game. So um, I'd love to sit down and, and share a glass of Uncle Near's premium whiskey with him. Mm-hmm. So I don't think he's all that far away. He's in North Carolina, right? With the uh, yeah, with he's Charlotte. not that far. So maybe yeah. he'll 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 hear the podcast and uh, come join <laughs> me at the longest bar in the world and and raise a glass of of Uncle Nears with me. Here's hoping. Here's hoping. That's uh, right. Last one. Last one here. Uh, do you have aside from swallowing? the whiskey that you're evaluating instead of spitting, do you have any unusual or controversial views or practices in, in the whiskey space? No, none other than what I shared. I don't eat or drink before or during my blending process. This is one thing that I tell everybody. When a person purchases a bottle of whiskey, they should drink it how they like it. If you like it with tea, if you want to put uh, lemonade in your whiskey, uh, I am not a whiskey snob. We are all unique. But I say if you bought it, you drink it how you like it. Well, amen to that. Victoria, Edie Butler, this has been a lot of fun for me. I've learned a lot from the Lincoln County process to the legacy of Nathan Nearest Green to uh, the absolute deliciousness of the juice in the bottle in front of me. So thank you for being my guide through this conversation. And thank you most importantly for being a guest here on the Modern Bar Cart Podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed it. I really did. And I hope that um, I have an opportunity to meet you face to face one day. Next time you're swinging through DC or next time I'm swinging through Tennessee, let's make it happen. Absolutely. You have my number and I have yours now. Cheers. Cheers to a great weekend. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, there's two big things you can do for us here at Modern Bar Cart. One would be to tell your friends and family if you think they'd enjoy listening to us talk about cocktails. And if they don't download podcasts, they can always stream our episodes on their desktop directly from the show notes page at modernbarcart.com. The other thing you can do to help would be to head on over to iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts and leave us a review. Five stars are great, but we're more interested in your feedback. And the beauty is the more reviews we have, the easier it will be for other folks out there to learn about our show. We're trying to start a cocktail revolution here. And by spreading the word, you're helping us fight the good fight. You can always reach us by emailing podcast at modernbarcart.com if you're looking for cocktail or bartending advice, or if you're a pro who would like to pull up a mic and be interviewed for all to hear. Also, definitely follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Modern Bar Cart for cocktail porn, recipes, and entertaining tips. And 
keep an eye out for new product releases and special offers, which are happening all the time. We love our listeners and we really enjoy giving you exclusive discounts and sneak peeks at our latest and greatest cocktail projects. This episode may be over, but for you, the mixological fun and adventures are just beginning. So remember folks, drink responsibly and experiment boldly. This episode was made possible with editing and sound design by Samantha Reed, Tennessee Whiskey Insights, courtesy of Victoria Edie Butler, and a little bit of interview magic by yours truly. This has been a Modern Bar Cart production, copyright 2022.